Hayden City. A dark place. Growing up here, you learn that pretty fast. The darkness consumes just about every street corner, every household, and everyone in it. You can't help but feel a sense of hopelessness looming over this city. A feeling of despair that you want to run away from, but doesn't let you go. Being a PI in a place like this is very conflicting. I was never really sure which side of the law I belonged to. I hate the cops and the criminals in Hayden. I guess the only thing I like is the truth. I was working a job late Friday night at the Gallium, staking out a subject inside. As soon as my partner Johnny walked out and gave me the signal, it was my turn to have a little talk with our new friend. Johnny walked out and stopped in front. He flicked his cigarette behind the guy that walked out after him. Showtime. Molinsky, I said as he turned around shocked. Who the fuck? Ah! You get hot on blackjack tonight? What the fuck? Ah! Let go of my arm! You owe a few people some money. Molinsky was a card counter. He owed money all over town. As soon as he blew it all, he would go to casinos owned by people he didn't owe money to yet and cover his ass for a few more days. He was a social leech, a financial menace to everyone he came into contact with, including himself. This is police brutality, man. Let go of my arm. Shut up. Aren't you a cop? No. Ah! So what, are you robbing me? No, I'm telling you. Pay back the Russians, or next time it'll be a bullet in your head, not a hand on your arm. What about the Italians? I don't know. Can you die twice? Typical Friday night for Hayden City. Ah, Tomorrow, fuck next week, next month, it'll be a similar problem with similar results. But for me, it was time to call it a night. I woke up the next morning to the phone ringing. People don't usually call me in the morning. It was Todd Darnell, a good friend at the precinct. He was calling me from home, though, so something had to be wrong. Yeah, I'll be there as soon as I can. And I hung up the phone. On the drive over, I thought how strange it was that he called me from the house. He always called from the precinct, or the field. I couldn't say why, but it put a very unsettling feeling in my stomach. Ace. Good to see you. Come in. What's going on, Todd? It's Richie. He's missing. Richie. Todd's younger brother. Not exactly the kind of guy to go missing unexpectedly. How long has he been gone for? Uh, About a week now. I'm worried something bad's happened to him. Is he in trouble with anybody? Is there anyone who would want him gone? Not that I know of, no. It's just weird because he's about to close a huge deal with some development company. He was really excited about it. It's not like him to go MIA like that. What does the Force have to say about this? Now, come on, Ace. You really think the Force has the time or resources to go looking for someone who might be missing? They'll laugh in my face and tell me to give it another week or two. By then, it might be too late. Help me, Ace. I'm really worried. I could see the fear in Todd's eyes. He really was scared. Odd for a member of Hayden PD. I've seen this fear before. This was the kind of fear that went hand in hand with pure dread. Like something terrible is happening. 
and there's nothing you can do about it. Todd, of course I'll help. You just focus on yourself, and I'll take care of this. Thanks, Ace. I really am grateful. The unsettling feeling in my stomach was only worse after that talk. Richie was a straight-laced guy compared to most in Hayden. A dope dealer, or a hired goon going missing, yeah, sure. But a guy like Richie? It was just odd. He had no criminal history. He even owned a business, a construction company, that seemed to be doing pretty well from the sounds of it. I decided to go to the Golden Mule and talk to Ivan. The Mule was a bar, owned by the Russian mob, and Ivan Denikin, the eyes and ears of the streets. Ah, East Mendenhall. Long time no see. Ivan, did you talk to card counter? I did. Did he listen? Yeah, he did. Good. What do you want for a drink? Just give me a whiskey soda. Of course. Ivan, I wanted to ask you what you know about Richie Darnell. Oh, the Richie, uh, policeman brother? Yeah, that's right. What do you want to know? Anything. Who does he hang out with? Where does he spend his time? And if someone might have a problem with him? With who he spends time and has problems with, I don't know. But I know sometimes he goes to the country club for social events. What kind of social events? After hours party. Holyoke Country Club was a very exclusive place. Richie Darnell was a well-off guy. But not in the same way as the others who spent time there. Thanks, Ivan. I'll look into it. Anything for you, my friend. Is there a problem? No, not yet. Oh, I see. By the way, boss have another job for you. Somebody steal his car and left it at the docks. He wants you to pick it up. And if you can find out who steal it, he will be very happy. Yeah, no problem. Me and Johnny will get it later. Before getting Johnny, I decided to swing by Holyoke Country Club and see if I could find anything. Holyoke was an exclusive place, full of politicians, lawyers, business people, and anyone wielding considerable power in Hayden. That's what made Richie Darnell hanging out there a bit strange. He had money, a house, and a business. But compared to the other members of this club, he just didn't fit the same description. To an outsider looking in, Richie would have looked like he belonged. But to everyone else inside, Richie would have been nobody. So what brought him here? As I sat at the bar, trying to figure out who could tell me something useful, in walked the perfect stranger. Everyone called her the Duchess. She was a lively socialite who hailed all the way from England. Her family was extremely wealthy and they had their fingers dipped in Hayden one way or another. If Richie had been spending time here, he would have met the Duchess, and she would have figured him out. She was known to be a flirtatious woman. She glanced down the bar at me as she sat down, and smiled. If there was ever a time to make an introduction, it was now. Excuse me, miss. May I use your lighter? Yes, of course. 
Finding a man who smokes doesn't have his own lighter. Well, I do. So why are you using mine? I like yours better. <laughs> do I know you? No, but everybody knows you, and I know everybody. Is that so? And who might you be? My name's Ace, and I might be somebody who needs your help. As if the lighter wasn't enough. Thank you for that, but I'm also looking for a Richie Darnell. Well, I'm sure you don't think I have one of those in my purse. Do you know him? Richie Darnell. Hmm. Yes, I do. But he just goes by Rich around here. I haven't seen him in a while. Is everything all right? Well, if you see him, please give me a call. Here's my number. You didn't answer my question. What question? Is everything all right? Yes, it's fine. Just call me if you see him. Tell me what's going on, or this number is going straight into the rubbish bin. She meant what she said. I didn't want to tell her everything, but I had to respect it. She was kind of like me. Just wanted to know what was really going on. Yeah, everything's fine. He's just been gone for a while. His family's getting a little worried about him. That's all. So, are you a policeman? No, just a friend. You're not. Are you an investigator? Maybe. Wow, you're good. You'd make a mighty fine PI yourself. Just glad you're not one of the old Bill, the captain who spends his time here. He's a right bastard, trying it on with every woman he meets. He's got a wife and kids, you know. Yeah, I'm well aware. Pretty telling about the cops in this town if he's the most respected one. Well, I wouldn't like to meet any of the other ones if that's the case. What happens if you don't find Rich? I'm not sure. Might turn into an investigation. Will the police look for him? Yes, but probably not well. Oh, I hate seeing business go unfinished. Well, if you see or hear anything strange, call me. If you want more unfinished business, call the police. Will do. After leaving Holyoke, I picked up Johnny to go get the car. Johnny was one of my oldest friends. We used to run around in the streets together when we were kids. Johnny was a real wild card, sometimes going off the deep end. He was a hustler and a fighter. He was small too. I never seen two grown men have to work so hard to beat the shit out of a guy half their size. Aside from Johnny. I could go on all day about the kind of guy Johnny was, but above all, he was loyal. That's why he was my partner. He usually talked my ear off, but he was real quiet during the car ride. We both were. The radio was on, talking about a high-profile murder case. Police officer was killed the afternoon. A cop was killed by a kid, a 14-year-old kid. He was found dead in an alley after they picked up the kid on Lexington. The whole ordeal was a media shit show because they were trying him as an adult. Some people were even trying to say that he didn't do it. Either way, all it showed was that this city was getting worse. Either kids were out here killing cops, or cops were willing to lock up anyone for anything. It was things like this that made my blood boil, that made my stomach turn in knots. The fact that things were just getting worse and worse in Hayden, as if it was just this place's natural progression. There had to be a reason for the madness, a force driving this ruthlessness. 
We arrived at the docks, and there it was. Clearest day. 1975 Jaguar XJ6 Coupe. Looking pretty as ever. It was surreal to see such a nice car in a place like the docks. I walked up to it and took a look around. It was spotless. No scratches. No hand marks. No footprints. No mess inside. At first it made me laugh, but then it seemed kind of eerie. I jimmied the lock and got in. I put my hands on the wheel. Damn, it was a nice car. I listened to more news reports on the radio during the ride back. Just one depressing mess after another. When we got back to the mule, Ivan was happy to see the car in such good condition. Ha ha, very nice, eh? She's beautiful. Boss will be happy. Glad to hear it. It's strange though, huh? What is strange? The car. It's like no one even touched it. This is a good thing. Come inside and celebrate with drink. You deserve it. Also, you have letter. Inside the mule was dim and smoky. The quiet, drunken ramblings of what few patrons were in there filled the air. The TV was on, and once again, the face of that boy who shot the cop consumed the screen. I couldn't help but feel sorry for him. Guilty or not, his life was over. Robbed of the ability to be a normal kid. Ivan handed me an envelope. The front read, Ace Mendenhall. No stamp. The letter inside said, Dear Mr. Mendenhall, I have found myself in a situation which requires your services. I have chosen to write you and not speak to you for the sake of withholding my identity. As embarrassing as it is, I have been robbed of a very large sum of cash by a prostitute. I am hoping you can track down the girl and retrieve my money, or what is left of it. All I know about her is that she is young, in her early 20s. She is tall, and that she has long blonde hair. Attached is a card with a phone number. This number should be called if, and only if, the money is retrieved. A handsome sum will be given to you if you can do this. Thank you for your time. Johnny, grab your stuff. We're going. Where are we going? Canal Street. Driving down Canal Street was like watching fudge slide down a chocolate sundae. Everything moved real slow. The mood was calm, but the hearts of those who occupied this place were not. You could find anyone here in Hayden's Red Light District, from the high up members of society all the way down to the everyday low life degenerate. A real slow churning madhouse this place was. Jesus Christ, Ace, look at these fucking skeezes, they're everywhere. Johnny was talking about the prostitutes. Many of them were not in a very good way. Holy shit, look at this one, Ace. Look at her, she's falling asleep talking to a fellow, what's wrong with her? Heroin. It was everywhere. 
You could almost see it in the air. It hugged the block like an invisible mist, and it held on tight. The girls needed it to work, and they worked because they needed it. I parked the car and told Johnny to wait inside, and I lit my cigarette as I got out. Oh, hey, sweetie. You looking for a date? No, actually. I'm looking for a person. Well, maybe I could be that person. Have you fallen into an unusually large sum of money lately? Baby, if that were the case, what would I be doing here? You know any tall blonde girls around here that might be in that situation? Jesus, Ace. You really don't waste any time, do you? I got no time to waste. You know that. <sighs> Who's the poor victim this time? Wealthy banker? Married cop? I don't know, actually. He's anonymous. Oh, wow. A secret piece of shit. How nice. Just trying to return something to where it belongs. Well, I'm sure whoever it belongs to is some kind of crook, a criminal, too, Ace. Do you really think everyone you work with is a fucking saint? I never met a saint here in Hayden. But if you lost something important to you, wouldn't you want me to get it back for you? You know, out of all of the guys that come around here, you're the biggest pain in my ass. And you don't even buy pussy. Well, I'll be out of your hair as soon as you help me out. What do you want? Anything. A name, a place, a phone number. Oh, well, that's gonna cost you. I pulled a 50 out of my coat pocket and handed it to her. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. Your turn, Ruby. Fine. Hazel. Is that the girl? From what you told me, I'm pretty sure it is. Where is she? No idea. And honestly, you're probably wasting your time. If it was me, I would have spent it by now. I'll take my chances. Pleasure doing business with you, sweetie. You come back soon now. You know I will. Only God knew where that girl could have gone with the money. I didn't want to believe what Ruby said, but she was right. It probably was all gone by now. But it wasn't my job to give up without knowing. I dropped Johnny off at the gallium and went home. I'd had enough for the day. I sat at my desk, drinking, smoking, thinking. Where could Richie Darnell have gone? And why was he hanging out at the country club? I knew for a fact he hated golf. Who took the boss's Jaguar? And why didn't they do anything with it? And finally, who did Hazel take that money from? He must have been a pretty important guy if he didn't want me to know who he was. I'd find out eventually. The phone rang and I picked it up. Hello? Ace? Yeah. Who's this? It's me. From the country club. The Duchess. What do you want? I think you better come to the ambassador. Why? What's going on? I'm in room 404. There's a dead person in here. And just when I thought the night was over. I jumped in the car and went straight to the ambassador. On the way up to the fourth floor, the same unsettling feeling in my stomach came back from when I talked to Todd about Richie. Of course, a dead person in a hotel room is never comforting, but I just had an extra bad feeling about this one. 
I knocked on the door. Ace, is that you? She said from inside. Yeah, it's me. Come in. She opened the door and closed it quickly behind me. Where is it? She pointed at a chair facing the window. I walked up and took a look at it. Thomas Waters. A very wealthy businessman here in Hayden. He had money everywhere. Transportation, hospitality, real estate, development, you name it. There was foam coming out from the side of his mouth. His dead, bloodshot eyes sat open. One sleeve was rolled up, with his belt tied around his arm, and a needle was coming out from it. Jesus, how long has he been here? I'm not sure. He was here when I left in the afternoon. He knew I wouldn't be back until tonight. I didn't think he would still be here. Why was he here to begin with? Thomas and I had been seeing each other. And how long has that been going on? Just a few weeks. You don't seem too distraught about finding him dead. Well, it wasn't really going anywhere. So why didn't you call the police? I was going to, but then I remember talking to you. Thomas had been spending a lot of time with your friend Richie before he went missing. And this is just so strange. What's so strange about it? First Rich goes missing, and now this. I don't know. I just... I just wanted to talk to you, because I think this just isn't right. A man dying from a drug overdose is hardly ever right. Yes, but that's what makes this so odd. Thomas never did heroin, or any other drugs. He hardly even drank. It's a first time for everything, I guess. I just thought you should know that I don't think this is what it seems. I took another look around the body. That's when I saw it. The corner of a bicycle playing card, poking out of the top of his shirt pocket. I took it out. Ace of spades. Something was written on it. Dig deeper. What could that possibly mean? What was he doing with this? I was starting to think this situation was as strange as the Duchess was making it out to be. But I had to be sure. I said goodbye right then and there, and thanked the Duchess for calling me. Who knows what clues would have gone unnoticed if the cops showed up first. Morphine. It calmed my mind in situations like this. All day, every day, my mind ran in circles about who did this. Who did that? All the time I did nothing but worry about things being stolen, people going missing, or getting killed. I couldn't sleep at night, and it was only getting worse. The morphine didn't get rid of my thoughts, but at least it slowed them down. I stopped thinking about Thomas, dying from drugs he supposedly didn't do. I stopped thinking about why Richie was hanging out with him at the country club, and where he might be. Instead, I thought about the card. The Ace of Spades. Dig deeper. Why did he have that? Did he write it and put it in his own pocket? No. Someone else must have wrote it and given it to him. Maybe even after he died. I lost consciousness in a high trance. Not quite asleep, but definitely not awake. The words dig deeper, circulating around in my head. That night... I dreamt about walking into a cave. A cave that twisted and turned down into the earth. The further I went, the further I wanted to go.
I had to know what was all the way inside, even though it scared me that I might not be able to make it out. As I went deeper, the cave got darker. Eventually I couldn't see anything, but I kept going. That's when I heard water dripping from the ceiling. I felt it fall on my head. I was walking in it. It slowly rolled down my forehead. At this point, it was up to my ankles. My hair was all wet, and it rolled down my cheeks. The water was now up to my knees. I felt it come off my nose. It was up to my waist now. It slowly seeped into my mouth. I tasted it. Blood. I jerked suddenly and was woken up with a crash to the cold, hard floor. The sun was out and it shone right into my eyes. I laid there next to my desk and chair, just relieved to be at home. I remembered seeing Thomas in that hotel room, dead, with those blank eyes staring off into nothing. I had to know everything about him. So I called in a favor from an old friend at the Fed to pull every file on Thomas Waters they had. And boy was I pleased with what I found. Thomas really wasn't the straight-laced businessman he made himself out to be. He had a long history of sketchy dealings, with accounts directly linked to organized crime groups. Money laundering and tax evasion was his bread and butter. I was actually impressed with the extent of his work while flying under the radar. Hiding behind the plaques of legitimate corporate entities and legal businesses was a man who benefited strongly from the criminal underworld. He slid on charges small-time racketeers could only dream of. He once filed a false insurance claim on one of his hotels that burned down in Vegas. The claim was deemed false because it was proven that the fire was started by a member of the Imperioli crime family, a direct shareholder of the property management group. Neither Thomas or the Imperiolis were charged with anything. He was also once caught crossing the border into Canada with $400,000 cash in his briefcase. A criminal offense for most, but for him, a slap on the wrist. As I dug deeper into his records and accounts, I saw a name I recognized. Darnell Construction. That was Richie's company. A transaction of $2.3 million into Richie's account. Holy shit, I thought. That must have been the big deal Richie's brother was talking about. But why do a deal like this through Thomas? Something had to be going on. I needed to know more about Thomas and Richie. But where could I find it? I made my way over to the mule. I always seemed to find something there, even if I wasn't looking for it. I walked through the front door, greeted by Ivan's comforting glare. Ace Mendenhall. Long time no see. Ivan? What's wrong? You look like you've seen the ghost. Yeah, kind of. Have a drink. You look like you need it. What's on your mind? A few too many things, I'm afraid. Then you must have heard about Thomas Waters. OD at hotel. Yeah, I did. Such a shame. The TV was on again, and all eyes were on the trial. The jury and the defendant stood up, as the court and the whole city waited to hear their decision. After an extensive discussion, the jury sadly informed the court that they found the boy guilty. The judge agreed with their decision, stating that he, too, believed the boy murdered Officer Pollock in cold blood. He then sentenced the boy to life. And that was it. The trial was over. 
Everything was quiet. Everyone sat and drank in silence. Hours passed, and not a word was spoken. The silence was broken by Ivan's stern voice. I don't think he did it. Why not? Pollock was good cop. Yeah, right. Boss tried to put him on payroll, but he would not accept. So? Boss's goons monitor him the week before he died. He wanted to talk to newspaper reporter. About what? I don't know. But whoever shot him was no 14-year-old boy. Give me the information of this reporter. I arranged a time to talk with her. And then I showed up at the Hayden Chronicle, eager to hear what she had to say. You must be Miss Stonewall. You must be the P.I. What do you want? I'm, I'm very busy. I don't have much time. I wanted to ask you about an officer, Pollock. She paused, as if time had stopped for a moment. Yes, Officer Pollock, the one who was murdered. What about him? I understand you had a correspondence with him. Um, not really. He tried to contact me a couple times, but we never spoke. Why did he contact you? Not exactly sure, but he really wanted to talk in private. So it must have been serious. Probably. Cops don't really reach out to reporters about fluff pieces. Have you ever written anything about the police? No, but one reporter here did. This guy wrote a piece about Hayden PD falsifying search warrants or something. I assume they weren't very happy about that. No, not at all. He was forced to resign not long after. For writing the piece? Yeah, the PD lawyered up and took him to court for fabricating information in the article. He can't write anywhere now. Would you ever write a piece about Hayden PD? It depends. It has to be something worth losing my reputation over. Like what? Oh, I don't know. Corruption at the highest level, unjust murder, something more than falsifying documents. You had to be stupid to think the force wasn't corrupt. For them, it was a game of intimidation, silencing those who spoke out. Everyone knew the game. You don't interfere with them, and they won't interfere with you. I'm sure you saw the outcome of the Pollock murder case. Of course. It's the biggest case Hayden has seen in decades. Do you think the PD had a reason to keep him quiet? That's a pretty big accusation. I wouldn't say yes unless I was absolutely sure. Yeah, me too. I just don't know how sure I am that he was killed by a 14-year-old kid, that's all. Well, I wasn't going to mention this, but the second message he left me was, was concerning. In what way? Just the way he sounded. He didn't seem normal. He was like, he was scared. Is that why you didn't meet him? Well, I was going to, but this was the day before he got, you know. I'm not going to promise you anything, but if I can get you some valuable information, will you write about it? What kind of information? Something you'll lose your reputation over. After I left, Miss Stonewall's words stuck with me. He was scared. 
he had valuable information. On who, or about what, I didn't know. But right then and there, I made it my own personal job to find out what got him killed. I went home and called everyone I knew, who could tell me something about Officer Pollock. No one had anything interesting to say. Anyone who got arrested by him just got thrown in jail. No one could pay him off. He just did his job. He wasn't friends with Todd Darnell. Or anyone on the force, really. But I did learn one interesting thing. Frankie Myers, a huge slumlord in Hayden, told me that Pollock was renting an apartment away from his family for the past year. He gave me the address and I got my things. Just as I was about to walk out the door, the phone rang. It was Johnny. Ace, I found the girl. Where is she? She's at the Sunset Hotel, room 212. How do you know that? Someone left an anonymous tip for me. They knew everything about her. Alright, I'm going now. Change of plans. I ripped over to the Sunset to find Hazel before she could shoot another dollar into her skinny little veins. As I pulled in, the place was dead quiet. It was a shitty little hotel, but I thought someone would at least be at the front desk. No one. As I made my way to room 212, I grew more and more concerned about the lack of people in this place. And there it was, room 212. I slowly drew my weapon and I got closer to the door. I put my ear up to it. Nothing. What's the sense in knocking, I thought to myself. I kicked the door and it flew open, and then I looked inside. It was a big room. It seemed empty, and like nothing had been touched. The bed was made. There was nothing on any of the surfaces. Could I have gotten the wrong room, I wondered? But then I saw her sitting in a chair facing the window. I could see the back of her little blonde head and her frail little arms dangling off the sides of the chair. Hazel, I said calmly. No response. I walked closer holding my pistol tight, not sure really what to expect. That's when I noticed her hands, covered in dried blood. I quickly came to her side and said, Hey, are you okay? But she wasn't. She was dead. She'd been that way for quite a while. Long, deep incisions ran down the length of her forearms. The poor girl had killed herself. But why? Being a Canal Street girl, I'm sure she had plenty of reasons. But my heart wept to see a girl so young experience her final moments in an empty hotel room with seemingly nothing but the clothes on her back and a head full of dark thoughts. So, Johnny's tip was right. The girl was here at the Sunset Hotel in room 212. But what about the money? I looked around for a bag, but there wasn't one in sight. I started opening drawers and looking in cabinets. Still nothing. Then I checked the bathroom. Sitting there in the bathtub was a duffel bag. I picked it up and brought it to the bed. It was heavy. I slowly unzipped it and took a look inside. You gotta be fucking kidding me, I said out loud. This was no ordinary sum of cash. I wouldn't even call it a large sum of cash. 
This kind of cash belonged in an armored car, being driven around by armed guards. This had to be millions of dollars, and it was all hundreds, wrapped up in saran wrap, untouched. That girl did not take this money from some sleeping John that hired her for the night. Who in their right mind would let her walk out the door with that much money? She was too skinny to even carry it. I had to be missing something. I looked around the room for anything that belonged to her. But there was nothing. No clothes, no bag, no purse. Not a thing. Then I thought maybe she left a suicide note. But there was nothing anywhere in the room. I went back to her body. Her eyes were glazed over, staring out the window. She looked so peaceful. I looked at her arms. She didn't even have tracks. What was I missing here? And then, staring me right in the face, a familiar little white tip, poking out from the top of her bra. One word ran through my head the moment I saw it. Bicycle. It can't be, I thought to myself. But then I pulled it out, and it was. A bicycle playing card. Ace of diamonds. With the same handwriting on it as the card I found on Thomas Waters. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Money is a man's biggest secret. This was no coincidence. Whoever gave her this card was the same person who gave Thomas his. At this point, I was beginning to think that Thomas's overdose wasn't an overdose, and Hazel's suicide wasn't a suicide. They were murders. I got out of there as quickly as I could, hoping no one would see me leave. Just my luck. A cleaning lady right outside the door as I left the room. She shot me a warm smile. I tried to do the same. I kept walking speedily down the hall and through the lobby with the heavy bag over my shoulder. This time there was a man at the front desk who gave me a questioning glance as I walked past. Beads of sweat dripping down my forehead. Just as I reached the front door, a faint scream came from the direction of Hazel's room. I had to go. I hightailed it out of there and went straight to Johnny's with the bag. I gave it to him and told him to guard it with his life. When he opened it to look inside, his jaw hit the floor. I knew it would be safe with him, though. Johnny had enough guns in there to supply the Red Army. He had Makarovs, AKs, PPDs, Popshas, a real gun nut. I told him to sit tight until I figured out what to do with the money. First, I had to go to Officer Pollock's apartment to see if I could find anything. Hopefully no one else had gotten there first. I pulled up to the address Slumlord Frankie gave me, a decrepit old building in a very unsavory part of town. I slowly walked up to his apartment. I could see his door, which was slightly ajar. Again, I approached with my pistol drawn. Again, not sure what to expect behind that door. I slowly opened it to reveal what was inside. I let off a sigh of relief, but also disappointment when I saw the apartment. It had been completely torn apart, every inch of it. Drawers were opened, papers were all over the floor, couch cushions slashed and emptied. 
whoever got here first was looking for something, and they didn't have an easy time finding it. I looked in the other rooms, and it was the same story. I was too late, I thought. Only two kinds of people search a place like this. Someone looking for money, and the police. I didn't think there was any money in here. So what were the cops looking for? Right then I heard a light tapping, coming from above my head. I looked up. There was a ceiling fan. But why was it making that noise, I wondered. I grabbed a chair so I could take a closer look. The sound was coming from the base of the fan. It wasn't completely touching the ceiling, and it was slightly rattling against it, making the noise. I put my finger up to the gap between the fan base and the ceiling. Air was coming out of it. I gently unscrewed the fan base, and it came right off. I stuck my arm through the hole and started feeling around. At first I felt nothing, but then my fingers brushed up against something. Papers. I grabbed onto what felt like a stack of papers in a folder. I pulled it out of the hole, and that's exactly what it was. I sat down on the chair I was just standing on and had a look inside. Jesus Christ, Pollock really knew everything. He had a case built against the entire Hayden Police Department. There were documents detailing corrupt officers, including Todd Darnell. Immediately following was a section on Richie. What was Richie doing in here, I thought. There were pictures of him. Meeting all sorts of people. Some of them I recognized as drug dealers. I had no idea Richie would even be in the same neighborhood as some of these people, let alone associate with them. And then there were pictures of Richie with Thomas Waters, along with bank statements, showing transactions from Thomas's accounts into Darnell Construction. And they weren't small transactions either. God damn it, that's when I realized. Richie was selling drugs and using Thomas to launder the money into his construction company. And I bet Todd was protecting him too. That's why he was so worried about Richie going missing. Richie really was the perfect candidate for this job as well. No one would have expected a white-collar guy like him to be involved in stuff like this. And with his cop brother protecting him, no one would ever have to. Which then brought me to the money in Hazel's room. That wasn't some Joe Schmo's pocket money. It was a drop for Thomas. And now the big question. Where was Richie? Before I could answer that, I had to give these documents to Miss Stonewall right away. It was too late to go to the Chronicle, so I decided to show up at her house. I figured she would be a bit shocked that I found out where she lived, but this was too important to wait. I walked up to her front door and knocked on it. When she finally came to the door and saw me, she was speechless. Before she could say anything, I handed her the folder. Here's your story, I said. She opened it up and looked inside. She stood there in the doorway for a few moments and stared at the papers, 
almost as if she couldn't believe what she was seeing. She flipped through the folder, and by the time she looked up, I was gone. It was very late at this point, and all I wanted was to be at home so I could rest. I'd seen too much for one day. My body needed sleep, but my mind wouldn't let me. I had to know where Richie was, but there was no way to know for the time being. Someone must have known, but who? I fiddled around with the two aces I found on the bodies. My memory was right. The handwriting was identical. Whoever left them there left them to be found. Aces. I was starting to take it personal. Someone else knew about Todd and Richie's drug operation. Not just me and the deceased officer Pollock. The letter. Whoever this anonymous client was took all that money from Thomas or Richie and left it with Hazel for someone to find. I was sitting on two dead bodies and millions in cash. There was no way this would stand for very long. What was this anonymous client playing at? That dreaded phone. What could it be this time? I could hear the birds chirping as I opened my eyes. Hello? Ace? Yeah, what is it? I found Richie. Where is he? I think you better come to the mule. I got there as quickly as I could. When I pulled up, Ivan was already standing outside. He had a concerned look on his face. I didn't like it. When I got out and approached him, he didn't say anything. I really didn't like that. I had a feeling I wasn't going to like whatever he had to say next. He didn't say anything, though. He just stood in front of the boss's Jaguar. He turned to me. And then he turned to the trunk. He walked up to it and closed his eyes as he opened it. And there was the answer to the big question. Richie Darnell, flesh and bone, folded up in the trunk of the boss's Jaguar. A closer look at the body showed marks around his neck, indicating death by strangulation. Ivan, did someone really steal this car? Yes. Does the boss or anyone he knows have a reason to kill Richie? You already know boss and the gang are as crooked as they come. But killing policeman family members is a terrible idea in this line of work. He was right. Whoever killed Richie needed a damn good reason. And if it was for money, why would it be left sitting in an empty hotel room with a dead prostitute? Just as I began to connect the dots, it all didn't seem to make much sense. I stood there, staring at Richie, obsessing about the point of all this and how it would all play out. And right at that moment, my heart dropped. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. A sliver of white, running along his shirt pocket, almost taunting me with its presence. As I began to pull it out, I prayed to God it wasn't what I thought it was, even though I knew he wasn't listening. God fucking damn it. Ace of clubs. What was this? Some kind of sick joke being played on me? It had to be, I thought. These cards literally had my name on them. Let lying dogs sleep. If this was in reference to Thomas and Richie, it was pretty clear that the lies went deep. I had to be the one to break the news to Todd. I knew he would be devastated, but it was my job.
police showed up with Todd on the scene. He got out of the car and made his way over to the Jaguar. Ivan popped the trunk and Todd looked inside. His eyes immediately shut as he looked away, shaking his head. The stinging pain of seeing a loved one stuffed in a trunk for God knows how long is enough to shake anyone to the core. Todd still held it together pretty well, though. He started making his way back to the cruiser, and I saw the look in his eyes. This was not the same look I saw when I visited him at home. Todd no longer held on to fear, but anger. As he passed me on the walk back, I said, I'm going to find out who did this, Todd. Thanks, Ace. He said calmly, and walked past. I wondered if he knew that I knew everything that was going on. At that point, I held on to all the cards, so to speak. At home, I thought about who would want to kill Thomas Waters, that poor girl Hazel, and Richie Darnell. And why? If not for money, then for what? I took out the letter, asking me to track down Hazel and the money, along with the three aces. All of it. The exact same handwriting. Then I took a look at the card with the phone number. Whoever was on the other end of this line might be crazy. Or a psycho, I thought. But they were also very calculated. And waiting for my call. I picked up the phone and dialed the number. It rang a few times. And then someone picked up. I said into the line. On the other side, there was nothing. Just breathing. I have the money. And then the phone hung up. Days passed, and I heard nothing. I began to wonder if anything would ever become of this whole endeavor. The police had been running an investigation on Richie Darnell's murder, with no considerable leads, and I wondered how things would change if Miss Stonewall ever published her article. Over the course of the next few days, things were very quiet, eerily quiet, as it seemed like everyone was holding their breath in anticipation of what was to come. I sat on evidence linking the murders of Hazel, Thomas Waters, and Richie Darnell, along with millions in cash. But I wasn't about to hand it over without finding the person responsible. Something had to give. Everyone's breath was running short. Finally, on the fourth day of silence, I received a letter. This letter made me feel terribly anxious, because I received it not in my mailbox, but on my desk upon returning home. It read, Dear Mr. Mendenhall, I am pleased to hear that you have retrieved the money. Please bring it to the address listed below on Friday at 8 p.m. Come alone, or you won't find me there. Friday at 8 p.m. That was the next evening. I looked at the address, and it was a warehouse at the docks. It had to be a setup, I thought. I was going to walk through that door to meet a group of mobsters who would take the money from me without thinking twice. But then why go through all the trouble? Why kill Richie Darnell for the money and then leave it in a hotel room with a dead hooker? Why kill that poor girl Hazel? Why kill Thomas Waters at all? And on top of all that, 
why leave these cryptic little breadcrumbs along the way? It became clear that I wasn't dealing with a bunch of thugged up goons trying to get paid. This person was meticulous, intelligent, vengeful, and had more at stake than just money. Suddenly the mobster setup scenario seemed more appealing. The next night finally came, and I did everything I could to mentally prepare myself for what I was walking into. I pulled up to the warehouse, and everything was quiet. Nothing but the sound of the rain, looming over the empty night. I walked up to the great big warehouse doors, which seemed to be housing more than just a person on this particular night. I didn't know if I was making a huge mistake by coming alone, but I knew I had to play by the rules to get the answers I wanted. I rolled open the door and walked inside. A large, bright light shone into the middle of the floor, leaving the walls in shadows. It seemed like no one else was there, but I knew that wasn't true. In the corner of the big empty warehouse was the silhouette of a man, a tall, slender man, who slowly emerged from the shadows. Great, you made it. Who are you? Who I am isn't important. It is to me. I'm not handing this money over to nobody. Yes, a man of morals, I understand. But I don't think you came here to give me the money. I did come to give you the money. But I also need to know why you're doing this. You ever send a letter to someone who didn't want to hear from you? They get the letter and it goes straight in the trash because they don't want to hear anything you have to say. Yeah, I suppose. What's your point? Sometimes, in order to get someone's attention, you have to show up in person. Well, you have all of my attention. And I'm here, so now what? Out of all the people in this shithole city, I actually like you the most, Ace. But you're also a big part of the problem. I get to the bottom of things. I just want to know the truth. Yes, you do. But you also keep criminals on the streets and on the force. That's not true. Oh, but it is. You kick a card counter out of a casino so the mob can continue to prey on degenerate gamblers. He deserved it. You tracked down a nameless man's stolen cash without knowing where it came from. It was stolen. You look for a missing man and find him dead. Now everyone can worry about who killed him and not his cop brother protecting their heroin business. How was I supposed to know? That's why you need to go, Ace. I admire your integrity, but you're a big part of why Hayden is like hell on earth. I'm not going anywhere. That's what you think, but I'll give you a choice. You can die right now, or you can go to jail. What the hell would I go to jail for? Well, first of all, killing that whore who stole your money. This is Thomas Waters' money. Ah, <laughs> oh, clever guy. You really are good at your job. But who's to say you and Thomas aren't in business together? What business? The business of killing Richie Darnell, and stealing the money Thomas was helping him launder. No one would believe that. Nah, of course not. Especially because he wasn't found in the trunk of a car that you were the last person to drive. Has your prints all over it. You bastard. This is what has to happen. Everyone must be held accountable. You, the criminals, the police. Everything has to stop. So why not just take the money? Why kill Hazel? Why kill Thomas and Richie? Because they needed to know what it feels like to have their closest loved ones taken away. 
Suddenly it all came together. The boy is your son, isn't he? You'll never know the anger I feel when I see people like Todd Darnell picking his kids up from school, knowing he just threw mine in a jail cell. The boy on trial for killing Officer Pollock was a young, scared, innocent kid, looking at a future behind bars, and his father was willing to do anything to make the world know it. You don't know how many people's lives you're affecting with all this. I don't care. My life is over, and so is yours. He quickly reached into his jacket. I reacted the only way I knew how, and everything went black. I slowly opened my eyes, unsure of what just happened. My gun was drawn, with smoke coming out of the barrel. The man was still standing a few yards in front of me, but this time with his hand on his stomach and blood coming out of it. He slowly began walking toward me, blood coming out of his mouth as he crept closer and closer. I was frozen in place, unable to move. He extended his bloody hand and grabbed my tie before collapsing to the floor. I stood there, almost in disbelief of what just happened. I looked at his lifeless body on the floor and the pool of blood slowly starting to form under him. I looked at his other hand to see his weapon, but there was no weapon, just a bicycle playing card, ace of hearts. I bent down to pick it up. On it said, the heart has its reasons, of which reason knows nothing. He wanted this, he wanted exactly this. The bodies, the money, and the motive were all on me. All I had was my word, and anyone who could vouch for me was dead. There was only one thing I could do, go straight to the police with the money and tell them everything I did. So that's what happened, and that's why I'm here. Six long weeks I've been waiting for my trial. As of now, I'm being charged with the murders of Hazel, real name Angela Smith, Richie Darnell, and Rodney Kane, as well as embezzlement of illegal funds. Thomas Waters' death was still considered an overdose, and I'm still unsure of how Rodney managed to do it. Rodney Kane, the man responsible for all of this, was an ex-military captain. He was discharged when his wife was diagnosed with cancer. When she passed away, his life fell into shambles, Unable to cope with the death of his wife, he began drinking. In the midst of all of this, his son was wrongfully accused of murdering Officer Pollock. The kid did nothing wrong. His only crime was being in the wrong place at the wrong time. If it wasn't him, it would have been someone else. This was the final straw for Rodney, who had a good and normal life before it took a very tragic turn. That's when he began his own personal pursuit of justice by his rules, to expose the wrongdoers of this corrupt city. Some good has come from this whole ordeal. Miss Stonewall did publish her expose on Hayden PD, with the deceased Officer Pollock's findings. Public outrage has forced the state police to step in and start their own investigation. Currently, Todd Darnell and six other officers are in custody and awaiting trial for a list of offenses so long I could be here all night telling you about it. The most important one is the murder of Officer Pollock, and if there's an ounce of justice in this world, 
Rodney Kane's son will be let free. So as I sit here now, in this interrogation room, and tell you my side of the story, yes, I did kill Rodney Kane, and withhold evidence from the police pertaining to the murders of Thomas Waters, Richie Darnell, and Hazel. And yes, all three were murders. No, I did not murder any of the three. And no, I did not steal the money from Richie and Thomas. I don't know how telling this story will affect my trial, or if it will help my case in front of a judge and jury. But if you're listening to this right now, at least one more person will know the truth of what really happened in Hayden City. This is my confessional.